friends, and welcome back to the Healthier Together podcast. I'm your host, Liz Moody, and I'm a cookbook author and longtime journalist. And I am so excited to introduce you to my guest today, the amazing and inspiring Mick Zazon. Mick is a writer, a speaker, and a creator. She's the founder of the Normalized Normal Bodies Movement, and I am just one of her hundreds of thousands of fans on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok. What I love most about Mick is that she is so authentic and so unapologetically herself. She's created a space where women can feel proud to show up as their whole selves every day with razor burn or acne or back fat or insecurities. She oozes confidence, but she's also real about the days that she's feeling less than cheery. And every time I read one of her posts, I feel better about being me. On this episode, we get super real, super quick. We talk about her journey as a creator, including her advice for anyone looking to find success in social media. We also talk about how she developed her incredible confidence, and she gave me advice for dealing with bad confidence days that I still think about all the time. She shares the story of her PTSD and her abusive relationship, her experience with having COVID-19 and Bell's palsy, and how she's navigated anxiety and depression over the years. We also get into her skin story. She started Accutane recently, so we talk about how she came to that decision and how that impacted her. If you're looking to feel better in your own skin or body, to be inspired in your business, or to take a proactive stance in dealing with mental health issues, I think this episode will help a ton. I cannot wait to hear your thoughts, so please, please screenshot and tag me. I'm at Liz Moody and Mick. She's at Mick Zazon. We would love to continue the conversation. And if there's anyone in your life who you feel like could benefit from Mick's wisdom and incredible sense of self-worth, I would so appreciate you sending them a link to this episode. I love the idea that we're creating a whole community, a whole world of people who take care of themselves and believe that they're worth that. All right. Enjoy this week's episode with Mick Zazon. All right, Mick. Thank you so much for joining me on the podcast. Thank you. I'm so excited. Let's start off. I'd love to know how you got started as a creator, how you started sort of posting on Instagram, posting on TikTok, where that whole journey began for you. So it was around three years ago, or was it like almost four years ago now? Uh, Who knows? Time flies and kind of blurry, but I um, had moved to Arizona and I just got back from a, from living in India for six months. And I had previously, like, I think I was about four years into eating disorders. I was still struggling with them and I was running away from my problems and weight loss was very, very prevalent within social media because that's when, you know, bodybuilding and fitness Instagram really blew up. And so it was, I, I, I was all consumed within this, you know, thing on social media. And I was like, I want to, I want to be that. And I'm an all or nothing person. So if I like want something like I, I will do anything and everything to get there and forget about everything else. It's something that is not too healthy and something that I'm working on. Um, but so, um, I moved to Arizona and I started, hiring fitness coaches. And I started sharing my journey on social media, um, sharing weight loss transformations, and how to diet what macros were and what, you know, how to track your calories, which is like, 
I was the antithesis of what I am now. <laughs> um, and I started to gain some traction within Instagram. I started a YouTube and, you know, I looked like I was happy on the outside, but I was, I was really struggling emotionally, mentally from a past abusive relationship and, you know, mental illnesses and eating disorders and, and everything kind of just like coming to fruition. And about a year and a half, later, um, I hit rock bottom and I decided to share my recovery journey instead of like backing down. I was, I had two options. I was like, I either just like delete my social media apps or I can share everything. And like I said, I'm an all or nothing person and I had some mending to do within, you know, my platform because a a lot, I, I tend to still forget how many eyes are on me. Mm. And I, I needed to show them that I, I think I had like 80,000 followers at the time. I needed to show them that what I was doing and what I was teaching them to do was unhealthy. And like, it is, it, it's not what life's about. And so I started to share my recovery journey. I started to share that I was going to dietitians and, and, um, that specialize in eating disorders. And I was going to a therapist that did EMDR therapy to help me deal with PTSD. And I started seeing a psychiatrist and getting on medications. And I started showing the real parts that no one really shares. And it was like the most amazing experience because I, I own the Rose Retreats. Um, it's a women empowerment retreat and event company that is global. And the women that show up, I would say like a, a one fourth of the women that have shown up to the retreats and events have followed me from the very beginning. And it's like the, the best feeling in the world knowing that like I ha- like I showed them that that wasn't the way. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, it's been two and a half years since I chose recovery and I've continued to share my journey and not focused on, you know, like my recovery in general, but show life after recovery. And I've been taking my, my friends, my online friends with me through it all through TikTok now through Instagram, YouTube. Yeah. So that's, I guess that's how it started. Okay. I have so many questions. Um, First of all, you said that you hit rock bottom at a certain point and that sort of inspired you to change your content. And can you walk me through a little bit what that looked like? Because I feel like it happens to creators and non-creators. You're sort of getting rewarded for looking a certain way, for showing up in the world a certain way. And you're like, oh, this is good. And it's hard for people to realize when it it becomes not good and it becomes damaging. And you had that, you know, exponentially more because the internet was literally rewarding you for having an unhealthy lifestyle. Yeah. Um, and you know, that was only like a fraction of it. I think social media is a byproduct and like social media is what you, what you share. And when you're in a bad place, you want to put on a front for people because you want people to think that you're happy and live this amazing life. And I think what made me hit rock bottom was like, I I had gone through a four year abusive relationship and um, that really 
it started at 17 years old and ended when I was 21. And so these like very um, transformative years of my life are what I, you know, what most teens experience is like going to football games on Friday nights and, you know, hanging out with friends. And I was, you know, abused every single day of my, my high school career pretty much. And through my sophomore year of college and, you know, that was a big part of me hitting rock bottom, even though I was out of that relationship because I hadn't gotten help and I was still dealing with, I I had orthorexia, uh, bulimia and binge eating disorder all at different points, but never a a point where I wasn't without an eating disorder. Um, and, and obviously like body dysmorphia and, and all of the things that women go through. So me trying to put on a front was, it was so exhausting. And on top of that, I was also dealing with depression, anxiety, um, ADHD. And, um, you know, I just found out that I was, that I have autism. So add that onto the list. And, uh, you know, post-concussive syndrome, like I had so many untreated things that I was running away from and I was trying so hard to let my, to, to try to convince myself that I was okay by showing everybody else that I was okay. And, you know, it, it just happened to have been in front of 80,000 people. Um, cause like I said, I'm an all or nothing person. and so I remember I had just gone to um, this influencer trip with my best friend and, you know, I was taking illegal steroids at the time and it was, it was like one of the worst experiences of my life because we were in Thailand and this is the place where you're supposed to just enjoy every single second, take, like soak everything in. And I was like hiding these illegal steroids, trying to lose weight and trying to be something that I wasn't. And, and, and it was like, that led me to hit rock bottom. And also I had photoshopped my photos because I was, Mm -hmm. I was in a culture where I was supposed to be something or what I thought I was supposed to be something. And I, it, it just all fell through. Like I could not function anymore. I, I stayed in bed for a month. Um, I'm not kidding about that. I ordered my groceries in. Um, I ordered Postmates. I had boxes of takeout food around my bed while I slept. Um, the only time I got up was to get something to drink, go to the bathroom, um, or, you know, get the food that I ordered. And I called my sister and I said, I, I like, I legitimately cannot live like this anymore. Like I, it's either I'm, I'm, you need to come here, even though you live all the way across the country, or like, I genuinely don't know what is going to happen because I, like, I'm questioning my own life right now. I don't know what's going to happen if I, if I don't get help right now. And that's when my family flew in and, and I took a step back and I focused on what was, you know, the point in life, relationships, living authentically. So, um, Although that was a long, long drawn out answer, you know, um, it's, it's more than just 
hitting burnout on social media. I, I feel like social media is just like a, a side effect, you know? Yeah. I'm almost just, I was almost curious for the people. I think a lot, I mean, you've talked about orthorexia on your page, but I think a lot of people don't know when it tips over. You know, I have a lot of conversations with people in my DMs who are like, how do you figure out how, like, I was reading all the ingredient labels on this and I couldn't figure out a good one to eat. And I'm like, and they're like, what do you do? And I'm like, I don't know. I just eat it. It's, it's, you know, something that I'm craving. So I just eat it. And I, I feel like I'm constantly having those conversations of like, not everything needs to be a hundred percent by the books, perfectly healthy. Not everything needs to fit this certain mold of what we call healthy. And I think that the fact that you were able to realize that for yourself, I'm I'm almost curious how you were able to redefine what healthy felt like and what healthy looked like from that place. Um, I wouldn't be where I am without professional help. Like I, I, my dietitian, her and I still have an amazing relationship and I still text her to this day if I'm feeling weird and I'm, I feel like I may take it out on food. And I think it's really scary reaching out to professional help, but, and on top of that, you see a lot, a lot of people online try to, to like tell you to live free from worries about food and and live confident in your body. But, you know, it's, I'm a firm believer that you can't like coaches are great, but you need to see professional help first. Like, I don't care where you are and you just need to see professional help because it will slowly consume your life. If you don't have direction from a qualified professional. So my dietitian led me through everything. She went grocery shopping with me. She allowed me to to realize that like I craved food from my childhood and like she taught me how to love exercise again by by guiding me through it and not telling me what to do but asking me questions like what do you want to do? What is kind to your body? And I I carry those long and emotional sessions with my dietitians with me every single day because those are the the moments that really made a difference in my recovery. So do you think that finding one person you trust is superior to kind of, you know, reading the articles and consuming I think a lot of people feel overwhelmed by the information about what's healthy, so it sounds like you've circumvented that by just finding one person you trust and then their opinion is sort of the opinion that counts to you. Yeah. You know, it, but again, it's not easy. Like I was lucky. I was lucky enough to only see one dietitian and that's not the case for everybody. I, you know, had experience with hating so many therapists before. So I, I get the frustration when you see somebody and they just don't get it. And yeah, I just broke up with my so, therapist. Yep. Same. <laughs> it's such, it's so like, and it's so awkward too. You like kind of don't know what to say, but I do think that's important too, is like, if it's not helping you after a certain point, it's important to break up and try again, but it's such an annoying thing to do. It's so annoying. Cause you're like, I literally just told them my whole entire life. And I have to tell someone else my whole entire life. Like what really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, um, so yeah, it's really emotionally exhausting, but 
having having been through that whole process, I can tell you that it is worth it all the way. And there are good professionals out there. Um, and what's good about things like social media and and coaches is that, you know, if you follow the right people and unfollow everybody else, that makes you feel like crap. They will lead you to like have a, a sense of criteria for how you want to receive help. Um, do you need like immediate help? Okay, cool. Do you need something that you can do like more than immediate? Okay, cool. Unfollow everybody, you know, un like delete social media, just focus on you, focus on listening to your body, what let your body tell you what it needs. And then reach out to a family member. Like there's social media is great for that. But social media or, you know, finding a coach should lead you to finding a professional and I've had like I've had a professional help from a dietitian and therapist and have a coach. So it's like have it's it's having support around you, you know? Yeah, totally. Is there something you would say to somebody who has a hard time justifying spending that kind of money on themselves? Yeah. Uh first of all, I screw our healthcare system. <laughs> yeah. Um it's really disheartening and you know hopefully that will change and i i have a therapy resource an affordable therapy resource um highlight on my instagram with like better help you can do like monthly installments and they're on um what is it psychology today you can if you have insurance and even if you don't have insurance you can like plug in your budget um, and what insurance you have and it, it, and, you know, are you a part of the LGBTQ community? Do you want a, a male or female? Like you can basically narrow down what kind of therapist or dietitian that you want through these sites. And I think, uh, you know, a lot of people need to know that that's an option because the word therapy and finding a dietitian, all, even me, like all I see is dollar signs because it is a lot mm -hmm. of money if you want a good one or if you, if, but there are options. Yeah. I'm also curious. I'm really big on demystifying therapy. All of my parents are therapists, like my stepmom, my dad, my mom, and then my mom has been married to various people in mental health. And then both of my husband's parents are therapists as well. Um, so, so wow. we come from a lot of it, but, um, I'm curious. I'm always curious when people are like, Oh, therapy transformed my life. What do they mean by that? Like, can you pinpoint what you actually got out of going to therapy? Yeah. I was talking to somebody the other day and I was like, you know, therapy has saved my life, but it, I don't live every day free of my mental illnesses. Like, that's not the point of therapy. The point of therapy is so that these people that you go see, you have a safe space where your information cannot get out of that room that you're in with this person. They are there to understand you, not really give you any answers, but to help guide you in a thought process in order to find your own answers and have you be able to speak out loud your, your traumas, your emotions, and 
that's really special. So gaining the tools in order to navigate your life, it's, it's like being happy with a living with a mental illness and managing your mental illness, if that makes sense. And there's always going to be good days and there's always going to be bad days. So I guess, I guess that's what I would say. Yeah. I love that. Okay. Let's go back to your creator journey for a second. Once you sort of, you know, opened up to your audience about what you were going through, do you remember when you started embracing your sort of normalized normal bodies movement, embracing your, your real body that you weren't fighting against photographically on Instagram? Yeah. Um, it was about a month and a half into recovery. Um, I moved back home to Ohio. I started living with my parents and I was gaining like a lot of weight. And the craziest part about it was it was like such a euphoric moment. It was like everything that I didn't know existed was just in I, like I was holding it in my arms and it was my body and I loved every inch, every part of my body. And it was such a different and euphoric experience. And it's something that I will never, ever, ever forget. Sometimes I miss it. Interesting. So do you not feel euphoric about your body now? Is it because it's become normal to you? I think when it's like with any love story and and how I see it. Um, I don't know if this is anybody else's journey, but I'm speaking for my own. Having that it was it was almost having that honeymoon phase with my body mm. and getting to know it and getting to learn about it in a way that I hadn't chosen to learn about it before. And I think that's what I miss. So I, right now in my own body, I, I love it so much. And it, I guess, it, again, like with any love story or any relationship, you have to, you have to work on it. Um, because the more you get into your recovery journey, like, I guess, the more you start experiencing new, new things, whether it be good or bad. Does that make sense? It does make sense. I want to break it down a little bit more because I think the thing the body love, body neutrality, all of that kind of stuff fascinates me because I feel like I sometimes I really get it and I feel like this is my body. Mostly I feel like it's not the most interesting thing about me that I'd rather be known for my brain or my humor or my kindness or anything like that. But then I have these moments where I go out with friends who have bodies that are more media, you know, push promoted. It's sort of like more like the perfect body that we see uh, on TV or I'll see myself in a photo and I'll be like, oh my God, I thought I, I thought I looked so much cuter than what I'm seeing in this photo. And I'm, I'm curious if you still have these types of moments and what 100%. you do in them. Okay. So then what do you do in them? Help me. Yeah. Um, I, I have, I call it a toolbox and mostly my toolbox is calling, um, my family members or my best friends or go to therapy because our, our jobs is social media and it's so exhausting because even though my message is, you know, I, I am 
more than my body. And I, I know that, like, I, I know it, it's in my brain, but I still have moments where I'm like, I know that, but I don't believe it. And so it's, I personally, I love to go outside, stay away from mirrors. I say like, I, I honor however I'm feeling and ask myself, what is the kind of thing that I can do for myself in this moment? Because typically when those, for me, typically when emotions like that come up, it's from another problem I'm having in my life. And I'm trying to control something that I, that like, I maybe can't control. And I'm in my inherent um, thought process is to take it out on myself. Mm, that makes sense. Can I, this is like a weird question, but how do you balance have like being like, I'm more than my body. My body isn't the most important thing about me. And then the fact that a huge message you can give to women on social media is posting about your body and accepting your body. This is probably the most like relevant to me. I don't know how relevant it is to anybody listening, but I want to like tell people, don't think about your body. Your body's like a tool for you to live this amazing life more than anything. But then I also find that when I show my real body, which it's a normal body, as you say, it's not, I'm not plus size. I'm not, you know, what you normally see in the media. I'm just a normal body. And women respond to that and feel comfortable in their bodies as such. But I, I have a hard time striking that balance and it feels like you do it beautifully. Um, I don't do it beautifully. It's, it's a struggle to be honest. I, it's cause, and then I'm like, am I contradicting myself that I'm posting my body and like putting value in my body by posting about it? And, and, you know, a lot of these thoughts go through my head. I'm like, well, now if I'm only valuing my body, even though I'm saying not to like only value my body, it's like this constant like war with myself. And I, I don't know the answer. I, I don't. And I guess I, I truly just take it day by day because it is a battle I deal with frequently. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it happens like every moment of the day, but it is kind of weird. I would say yeah. because, you know, it is weird. It's just weird. <laughs> it's a tr it's tricky because you know, I, like at least for me, I'm like I can sense this content resonates with people and it's helping people, but I also don't know if the message should literally be like, "Here's my tummy," but I'm not going to talk about it because it literally isn't relevant to anything in my life. You know? Yeah, and I think I've I've gotten more. I've gotten better at showing my life without pointing out my flaws, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Like I've, I've gotten better at, you know, if, if, if there happens to be a role in a photo, it, like I don't have to talk about it. Um, even though, you know, having cellulite and, and all of those, and all of those things are, are a huge part of what I talk about. So I guess that is what I do and what I have been doing it been helping a little bit. You mentioned earlier that you'd had these concussions and post-concussive syndrome on sort of the laundry list of traumas that you've had to deal with in your life. I'd love to talk about just sort of your identity as a soccer player. You stopped playing soccer because of these concussions, right? Yeah. Um, I stopped playing soccer when I was 17. Identity crisis, which is what led me to be in the abusive relationship. But I had over eight concussions 
Wow. And that scares me so much. Like that scares that concussions are one of those things that just it's your brain. It's so scary to to think about that. You had eight of them. Yeah. um, Pretty severe ones. And I had to switch schools and I forgot my friends from the school that I transferred from. Um, And my memory has come back. But it was it was a really scary experience because I had to go through like I had to. I thought I was not going to go to college. I didn't think that I was going to finish high school because of how bad it was. So I'm, I'm very, very grateful that I was able to, to come out of that. Is the, did you, is it a waiting game mostly? Do you just, or are you doing rehabilitative therapy to get through that? Or what does that look like? Yeah. So, um, cognitive therapy, behavioral therapy, um, it, it is kind of a waiting game with post-concussive syndrome. Um, typically, what I was told from my doctors is that symptoms tend to lessen over time through these occupational therapies that you do. Um, and that's why I continuously see my psychiatrist and therapist because I I do tend to like forget. I have short-term memory loss. Uh, I have learning disabilities now. Like I, I read, it takes me 90% longer to read than someone without what I have. If you know, so it's, it's a constant daily battle and, and it's tough. (laughs) You're listening to the healthier together podcast. This has been quite a year to say the least. I know a lot of us are feeling stressed and anxious, and I am right there with you. While I don't take a ton of supplements, one of my go-tos in getting through this year has been CBD. I love Kyoto Botanicals for a few key reasons. They own and operate their hemp supply chain from seed to bottle and hand-produce every bottle they sell to deliver products with unmatched consistency and quality. They believe every ingredient matters and should contribute to your overall health, which is why they only use USDA-certified organic oils to deliver flavor with benefits. Their hemp is grown according to strict organic and biodynamic standards, and they only use organic coconut MCT oil as a carrier. I take their tinctures twice a day, in the morning to deal with the stress of the day, and then in the evening to help me sleep. I particularly love the warmth cinnamon turmeric tincture, especially in these cooler months. The taste is amazing, and it just feels like a hug from the inside out. Yes, I know a lot of you are worried about the taste of CBD, and while I've tried a number of brands that taste truly terrible, so I get it, the Kyoto Botanicals tinctures are all super delicious. I even use them in recipes. Remember, you need to take CBD for a few weeks to tone your endocannabinoid system before you start seeing acute results. Not many people talk about this, but it is critical. So you want to take Kyoto Botanicals consistently for a few weeks, and I promise the difference you'll feel is amazing. Speaking of warmth, they have a warmth body balm that smells like toasty spices, kind of like a perfect spiced apple cider drink. I use it when my muscles are sore or I rub it on my temples and shoulders to alleviate tension headaches I get from spending way too much time in front of the computer. I highly recommend. They always have free shipping and you can get a whopping 25% off your order by visiting kyotobotanicals.com and using the code HEALTHIERTOGETHER like the name of this podcast. Again, that's K-Y-O-T-O-B-O-T-A-N-I-C-A-L-S dot com. And the code is healthier together. I cannot wait for you to try these. They are truly going to change your life. Now let's get back to the episode. 
I want to talk about the identity thing in a second because I think that's so fascinating. But I'm also curious if you ever, like I used to do a lot of drugs, like a lot of drugs. I was a party person and I was really sort of trying to run away from myself via doing a lot of drugs. And I have these huge gaps in my memory from college and late high school. And I sometimes see high school friends and I like literally don't remember them or why we had a connection or anything like that. And I get so angry at my previous self for setting me up for this life. And I know that soccer is different because it's obviously um, not as destructive inherently, but I'm wondering if you have any sort of negative relationship now when you're struggling to read or having these ongoing issues with the person who made the choices that sort of brought you there? Yeah, it's difficult as a as a content creator because it takes me like so much longer to create a post or to do a YouTube video. It takes me so long because I do things at such a slow rate to make it the kind of content that I know I I want to put out into the world. So sometimes I do get frustrated because I think about, it's like this comparison game. I see people just throw out content every single second of the day. And I'm like, I literally cannot do that. I can't, there's no possible way for me. And then I, I get down about it because it's, it's my job and not only my job, but it's like genuinely what I love. I love sharing my journey and having people follow along. But like you, you said that you had um, gaps in, in memory. I, I don't remember a year of my life and I don't, it's, it's, it's like a fog. So I get what you mean when, when I, I never got into drugs or anything like that, but what, with my P PTSD, there's so many gaps in my memory that I get frustrated with because my brain is trying to protect me and, and it's a, it feels like another thing to add to the list of, okay, well, I just, I did go through that for four years and maybe it's my fault, but it's not my fault. <laughs> so do you, you talk about your PTSD, your PTSD, you're referencing specifically your abusive relationship. Do you count your concussions or any of those other or your, you know, rock bottom on your eating disorder? Do you consider those causes of your PTSD or mostly this abusive relationship? Um, mostly this abusive relationship. I went through trigger warning for anybody who's been through an abusive relationship. I, I went through um, something called relationship terrorism where it's essentially when your abuser uses all forms of abuse on you. So reproductive coercion, physical abuse, emotional abuse, um, financial abuse. What's, what's reproductive? I haven't heard the term reproductive coercion. For me, it was he, he wanted to have a baby with me. And so he threw out my birth control and he wouldn't wear a condom. And yeah, so it's it's trying to control your life um, or your reproductive system. Yeah, your body. Wow. Yeah, yeah. That's crazy. And how can I ask how that relationship finally ended? Yeah, when I was um, twenty one, I he had 
isolated me to the point where I, I dropped out of college and I was living with him and his family. Um, I didn't really have any, con- I didn't have any contact with my family at all or friends. I just had him. That's the, you know, classic for abusive relationships. They want you to only rely on them and that's what happened. So even if I, even if my gut was telling me to leave, I, he was all I had. So I, don't know. I remember waking up one day and I was like, I I just need to go. I can't stop fighting this gut feeling. And I called my friends that I hadn't talked to in years. And I, I said, I, I need you to come pick me up. I'll give you an address. And I didn't really tell them what was going on in hindsight. I wish I did because, you know, things, uh, you know, when you leave, it's the most dangerous times for um, the abuser to abuse their partner. And I wasn't aware of that. And so I want to stress right now, like if you are thinking about leaving or if you have somebody who's thinking about leaving, make sure you have a safe plan because that's when the most violence is, um, is statistically, you know, happened. And so within a couple hours, he, he was, out grocery shopping and I packed my stuff into my friend's car and just left. Wow. That's like, so do you know where you got that, that strength and bravery from in that moment? I do not know. I, to this day, to this day, I don't know because it's still blurry. I remember very, you know, vital points in that day. But outside, genuinely outside of what I just told you, I, ca- I cannot remember. Yeah, it's it's crazy how our brain protects us from trauma. I think it's such a fascinating, like, I saw um, a quote recently or something from a therapist that was like, shout out to everybody who doesn't remember their childhood because it was filled with trauma and trauma, like, blocks those memories. And I was like, oh, yep. that makes sense. <laughs> got it. Got it. Got yep. it. Got it. <laughs> Yeah, that's interesting. How does that affect your dating now? Um, it affects it. Yeah, it is really hard. I, you know, just recently, I am able to have guy friends. And that's a new experience, because I was afraid of having any relationship with men. So I, I'm just I try to be so kind with myself. I'm on dating apps. And I tend to just like avoid them. So even just downloading a dating app is a step for me. So it's, it's a journey. It's a slow journey. That's fair. I mean, the the whole dating world is scary, you know, without any of that. So I can't even imagine layering that on there as well. Do you want to, like, are you interested in finding a long-term partner? Do you know if you want to have a family or like, what do you picture your life down the road to look like in terms of that stuff? Um, I've had to reroute my thinking with that. Um, from a very young age, I've wanted a family. I've wanted children. I've like, I, I still want that. However, I've put so much time and effort in to unlearning a lot of what society wants us and wants our future to be like. And so I'm, I'm trying to to come to terms that if that's not my path, then that's okay. And to, to keep putting, you know, positive energy into my life 
in into ways that I want it to be. But even but if it doesn't turn out the way that I want it to, you know, and I'll take it from there. But yes, I do want a family. Something I've always wanted. Has anything been help? I I feel like I have so many friends who you know, are maybe in their 30s and they really want kids, but they haven't found a partner yet or they're struggling with fertility or um, they're in a relationship and they it feels like a dead end and they're not like, you know, they're trying to gather the strength to leave. And I think that that what you just said about figuring out how to make your life feel good to you, even without these things that you're so sure that you want and need that are sort of out of your control. I think that's so interesting. Is there anything that has been actually like pragmatically helpful in that journey? I try so hard with with someone who has anxiety, especially with COVID. It's been hard to convince myself to get out of the house. And this past two weeks has been really good because I'm just like, you know what, Mick? the world is afraid of you when you're not afraid. So I'm just going to go. <laughs> um, so I, I have, I guess what helps me is just diving into the things that I love and creating relationships that come into my life in that way, because those people on the other end are doing what they love. And I came into their life that way. Mm, that makes sense. I I just think there's like, it is interesting what you say about like what the media tells us too, because I think there's so many ways to have a full and rich and beautiful life. And I found even for me finding, I was going on a hike with a girlfriend the other day and we were trying to pick um, examples of women whose lives we would want to have. Like if we could trade our lives 30 years down the road, they they were older women. And it was just really interesting to see all these examples we mentioned, like Elizabeth Gilbert and Oprah. I think Oprah's come in so under the radar. She never married her partner, never had kids, and nobody talks about it. Everybody's just like, oh, yeah, Oprah's living the life. Nobody's like, oh, she's missing out on anything. And I think that's a, like a magic trick that she she pulled, that it's not even been a point of conversation. And I think there's so many examples of these really full, beautiful lives. and it's been helpful for me to, to realize how many different ways that can look, you know? I had no idea about Oprah. Wow. (laughs) You're right. No one talks about it. (laughs) Nobody talks about it. And it's, it's kind of subversive. Like that she, she's been dating, um, I forget his name, but like she's had her boyfriend for 20 years and they've just not gotten married. Gail's basically like in her family. And then she's casually chosen not to have kids. And I'm like, go Oprah. And it's never even been part of her story. Wow. 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 I'm blown away. Go Oprah. <laughs> go Oprah. Um, I would love to go back to the identity thing for a second because it does feel like you've sort of lived all of these different lives. You know, you lived your soccer star life. And I want to clarify also for people listening, you weren't just like a high school soccer player, right? You were like a really good soccer player who could, you know, play long term, correct? Yeah, I was uh, nationally ranked and I was um, getting scholarships from D1 schools. uh, And I went to camps with the USA team and all of the above. So it was it was a huge identity crisis when that was ripped away from me. Right. And I think a lot of people struggle with a ton of their identity being wrapped in one thing, like being a parent or 
their job and it makes them really, really scared to lose it. And as somebody who's come out even better, I would argue on the other end, do you have any advice for forming a new identity or dealing with that sort of identity crisis? I've never had that question before. And that's a really good question because it's making me reflect. I don't necessarily have advice because I I don't know what it is about me. And maybe this is just a, you know, a question where people can just say, you know what, me too. <laughs> <laughs> I I learn from trial and error. And, you know, having lost, you know, a huge part of my life and then trying to find my whole identity in a man and then trying to find my whole identity in my body. Um, you know, I, I struggle, like that is a, that is an internal struggle that I seriously deal with every single day. So I'm not going to try to give advice. Like that is something that I'm genuinely still working on, um, internally, like to this day, even before this podcast, like every single day. What is the working on it or the struggle look like for you? Right now, I struggle with finding my identity in my work. I recently I've just hit burnout more often than not. And I mean, all of our screen time on our phones and computers have gone up because of COVID. And it's been putting a huge like relationship block with my work and myself. And I have, you know what, I've been really diving deeper into like childhood hobbies. I'm collecting rocks again. And I'm, um, uh, I have my, I'm looking at my crystal collection over there. And I, you know, I shine them and I go through this process so that I can really focus on what I love instead of what everybody needs from me. I love, I literally got this warm feeling in my chest when you said that you've been diving into childhood hobbies because it it instantly connected me to a time where I wasn't placing my value on external things of the work I could do or what I could produce or what people thought of me. And it's crazy how um, how much I'm disconnected from that now and how much my my worth and my identity is sort of based on external sources. But I love the idea of kind of diving back into like I used to just go out behind my house. I used to pretend I was running away and I would um tell my mom I was running away and I'd like pack a little bag and then I would go hike in this like wash. I lived in the desert in Arizona behind my house for like five hours and I'd make little potions and uh just like play. I think we've lost a sense of doing stuff just for the sake of doing it, not because it makes you better or enhances you in any sort of way. Just because you enjoy it. It's been, it's, it was like pulling teeth for me to, to do it though. I think (laughs) it was hard for me. I'm like, no, don't do it. And then I found myself, I traveled to Michigan because my, my dad grew up in Detroit and, um, we went to Traverse City um, to a family home that we have, and I spent hours on the beach just collecting rocks. And it 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 was better than therapy. Oh my gosh! I just didn't matter what any anything was happening 
you know, around me. I just, I was focusing on this one thing. It gave me so much joy. I was getting excited when I saw a really cool rock and, and it really has changed my, um, you know, happy time, I guess I should say the past couple of months. I'm really grateful for it. Why do you think it was like pulling teeth? Um, because I, if social media is hard for me to get away from because it's like, I, I just want to help everybody. <laughs> I want to help everybody so much. And it gets to the point where it doesn't bring me joy anymore. And I still want to help people. So that, I guess that's why it's pulling teeth because it's like, I love it, but it's then if I overdo it, it, I don't love it anymore, but I, I still feel like I need to do it. I also think women tend to, I mean, men too, but I think women especially tend to derive a lot of their identity from being helpers. And I think you see that, you know, in jobs like yours, but also in women who work really hard all day, kick ass at their job, and then they're helping a friend with a relationship, and then they're helping a colleague with a project, and then they're helping their kids with their homework, and then they're helping, you know, make dinner. And I just think women... um yeah, derive a lot of their identity from being helpers for better or for worse. 100%. I think it's 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 a, it's beautiful in a lot of ways and um but I think it it's hard to step back and be like when do I need to just help myself? Mhm. I learned that unfortunately from my mom. My mom is amazing. She's always helping somebody. <laughs> yeah, well, and it's mod- and then it's it's applauded by society. It's like, "Oh, look at this mm-hmm. woman doing it all and and kind of giving and giving and giving until she's completely depleted. And we're like, oh, my gosh, yes, she's doing it. And I think that that can be a really dangerous message to um, to send kids. It's so dangerous. Can we talk about your skin story for a second? So you're currently on Accutane. And I would love to know sort of your journey with your skin in general, and then what led to the decision to take Accutane and then what your experience has been with it so far? Yeah. um, I have dealt with acne my entire life since I hit puberty, even probably even before that. Like I can't remember a life without acne and I carried cover up in my backpack since I was a kid. And I've been through so many different medications and so many different diets. It's one of the things that also led me to um, disordered eating and eating disorders because you're told to uh, eliminate gluten and dairy out of your diet and, and all of these things. And for most people, it's not the case. Uh, when you look at like science and stuff, you're like, oh, I didn't know that that was only for a certain amount of people and not the whole population. So I... It's been a lifelong journey. And two years ago, I found out about Accutane. Isotretinoin is also what it's called. And it's a really hard drug to be on. And I decided not to do it because I was in the beginning of my recovery. I think I was six months into my recovery at that time. And I was just, you know, thinking if I do this, I'm not going to get the chance to fully accept myself because I'm always wanting to fix, 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 fix. And again, thank you, being a woman, (laughs) um, 
So I decided to go into this acne and skin acceptance journey and it it was so hard. Like I some of my lowest body image days have been because of my acne because I can't look somebody in the eye or I'm afraid that if I turn my back to somebody, they're going to see my back acne in the summer or when I'm wearing a tank top or something, or even just being hyper aware of the pain on my face, back and chest and shoulders, being aware of pain. I mean, you think about stubbing your toe and, you know, having that pain afterwards, that, that was my reality for all pretty much all of the cystic acne on my face and my back and my shoulders and chest. And I, it's hard. It's pretty much impossible to not feel that pain and be aware of what's on your face and and on your body. And I had to do so much emotional work. And part of that emotional work was being open and authentic about it on social media, because at the time I didn't see any skincare brand, any makeup brand really share real skin. It was all poreless, photoshopped and, and uh, have makeup on their skin. And you'll see that today too, but more people have been more outspoken about it, which I'm very, very grateful for because this big movement is starting. Um, and I, I think I'm three months into three and a half months into Accutane. I started then because I, I hit a point where I, I said to myself, you know, I, I love, I love me. I love my skin. I don't love the pain that I'm in. I don't love that. I can't be fully present in situations because I'm aware of this pain. Not that I'm self-conscious of it. I just, I, I can't, I don't want to live like this. And that's okay to say unapologetically. I think a lot of people think, you know, is your skin positive and why are you taking Accutane? No, I'm allowed to have autonomy on my, in, in every aspect of my life. I can choose to make that, you know, liberating decision. And so that's what I did. And I'm again, three and a half months in, I've had a, a pretty great experience. Um, my mental health is, you know, kind of dipping, but that's a, that's another side effect. Um, but I had two years of preparation to get to this point and prepare and have all of my self-care things in order, like therapy, like my psychiatrist and, you know, everybody there to support me when I am having some of these side effects. Yeah. I think the mental health side effects would be the thing that would make me the most anxious, ironically. Um, Mm -hmm. but because you're somebody who has suffered from mental illnesses before. So I guess I'm curious, like when you say you're having some mental health effects, when you're feeling, do you mean you're feeling like depressed or anxious or having panic attacks? And how do you attribute that to Accutane versus just being like, this is how I'm feeling. And how do you, I don't know, like get a handle on that. So I know my body inside and out. I think that's the beautiful thing of learning to getting learning to get to know myself before taking any of that, because I know how I function is the same thing with learning to love my body and going through that recovery process with my eating disorders. Like I chose 
to know the ins and outs of self-care, you know, knowing that my worth goes beyond my body. And so when I, when I'm feeling so exhausted to the point where it's difficult to get up from the couch, I know that that is not me. And that is so, it's, it's not practiced enough. We're just taught to have these uh, fast solutions and we're not taught to just listen to our bodies first and, and have our bodies tell us or, or guide us in what it needs. And so I know that when I'm feeling exhausted is Accutane. I know that I, when I'm feeling like I just want to cry all the time, I know that's not me. Um, because I have all of these steady things in my life that have, that are habits even before Accutane that genuinely make me happy. So I, I knew about the mental side effects and I think that's where the bad reviews come in because it is really scary. If you have a mental illness, if you have any type of mental illness to go on a drug that the main side effect is mental um, health issues, you know? Yeah. I mean, it's terrifying. <laughs> I, I've, I've like almost avoided even in my worst moments when I was agoraphobic and uh, didn't get out of bed or leave my house for, for months. And I was still so afraid of changing my brain in any way, even in a positive way that I avoided the mental health drugs because those scared me with how they were affecting my brain, if that makes sense. So like anything that has the potential to affect your brain, I think it's terrifying. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it is. That's why support is so great. <laughs> you said something and I really just want to repeat it because I think it is so important that you can love your skin and want to change it. Do you feel the same about your body? Can you love your body and want it to look different? I hate when people say love your body. You know what I mean? Like, well, what if I don't love my body? Like, shut up. <laughs> um, and, and it's, I mean, really, like, stop telling me what I can and can't love. I, mm. and that's so interesting that you say that because it's literally like another form of control is to tell you to love your body. Yes, exactly. And so how I see love is how I care for my body. And it's it's through caring for your body that allows you to love the ins and outs of, you know, any situation in life, any anything that happens to you. Um, and gosh, it just, it, it angers me because that's all I see on social media lately. Like you're, you can love yourself. Well, what if I don't genuinely? So what, so what would your message be instead of that? Instead of you can love yourself, care for yourself, be kind, like have, ask yourself, what is the kindest thing that I can do for myself? Even though I don't love myself right now, you know, it could be laying down. It could be going for a walk. It could be you know, eating a cheeseburger, it could be eating a salad, it could be um, getting your emotions out in a really heavyweight workout, it could be running, it could be so many different things, it could be hanging out with a friend, it could be anything, just be kind. Yeah, I, I love that sentiment. I think the hardest thing for me to parse sometimes, I, I feel a certain sense of disassociation from my body because of various sort of traumas in my past. 
Um, and I think it's hard for me to sometimes tune in to what my body actually wants or needs. And I guess, you know, like when does it really want to lay and rest and eat a cheeseburger? And when is that not actually what it wants and what it wants is a green smoothie and to go for a run. And I think developing, honing that sense of intuition is really tricky for me. And I'm curious if you have any advice to kind of like narrow in on on what the real messages are from you versus anything external or anything trauma-based? Um, yeah, I like to, it's trial and error. I mean, I've gone through days where I accidentally forced myself to work out and I'm completely depleted emotionally and I can't even pick up a weight. Um, and I've rested when I really felt like my body was telling me to work out and it's not going to be perfect. It doesn't, it doesn't need to be, per- it's not supposed to be perfect. It never will be. So it's learning how to communicate with your body. And like with any other relationship, you're going to have, you know, these points where you're like, Oh, I thought you meant this. No, I really meant this. Let's work on this. Interesting. You talked about, you have an autoimmune disease as well, right? Mm-hmm. Which one do you have? And yeah, which one? Yeah, so um, I am currently being tested for Hashimoto's, um, and there's no criteria criteria for lupus, but that's pretty much where my doctor is, you know, leading me to in my uh, healing process with that. And it's it's difficult because with any autoimmune disease, you the the norm with it is not knowing <laughs> because a lot of doctors aren't really taught to to listen to patients um and so you have to be self sufficient and you have to fight for yourself so that's what i've been doing for the last year and a half and i've gotten some answers i have ibd which is also linked with crohn's disease i have um, interstitial cystitis, which is, um, inflammation of the bladder. And it's almost like IBS, but with your bladder. And I have shingles as well. Um, which is not an autoimmune disease, but it is a symptom of many autoimmune diseases and disorders. So I have been leaning on medical marijuana, um, or medical cannabis and that has been a really awesome journey for me because a lot of those symptoms have lessened because uh, not just medical cannabis, but because it's allowed me to calm down and look at the bigger picture. Like how can I care for myself now that I'm not stressed? Um, But it's, it's really difficult knowing that I have all these problems and not knowing what to do with them. When you say you've been relying on medical marijuana, do you take like microdoses throughout the day or what does that look like specifically? Um, it kind of depends. I I have my doctor for guidance, but if I'm feeling stressed during the day, I do microdose. Um, if I but I I mainly do it at night. I I don't I like to feel and this is again I'm, I'm learning if this is my pride getting in the way or if 
like I really need help in different areas of my life, but I like to feel um, like nothing is getting in the way of my thinking or anything like that when I'm working and stuff. So mainly at night. Yeah, that's fair. You're listening to the Healthier Together podcast. There's something new and so exciting that just launched in the non-dairy milk world. You might have heard of Lava. They're famous for their super creamy plant-based yogurt. Well, they've just launched Lava Plant Milk, which is going to be your new favorite non-dairy milk. It's totally different than any other plant milk on the market because it's made with peely nuts, a super nourishing food that's high in magnesium, vitamin E, and monounsaturated fats that support heart health and brain function. Peely nuts are also a complete protein, making this honestly some of the most nutrient-dense plant milk I have ever tried. Beyond that, the texture is unreal. It's super rich and creamy, not at all like some of the other plant milks you find, which essentially feel like white water. It's also got the best ingredient list that I have seen in a long time. It's made with all real food ingredients, including coconut water, which provides a nice, gentle sweetness. They also have a chocolate lava plant milk, which is sweetened with dates and gets its delicious chocolatey flavor from unsweetened fair trade cocoa. It even has maca, a hormone-supporting superfood in it, which I thought was bananas. Like, how above and beyond can you get? None of their plant milks contain any emulsifiers or sweeteners. I've been using the unsweetened milk as a base for my lattes now that the weather's getting cooler, and I love having the chocolate one as a little protein nosh after my workouts. And for you coffee lovers out there, I'm talking to you, Zach. They're launching a plant creamer too. You can find the Lava Plant Milks at Whole Foods, and you can find out more information about them at lovelava.com. That is love with two Vs and lava with two Vs. They're going to blow your mind. They are so unique and so delicious. I can't wait for you to try them. Now, let's get back to the episode. Do you do anything else to manage it? Like, I'm curious, particularly with your relationship with food, if there's any part of you that's like, oh, I want to follow these food protocols to work with my work on my autoimmune disease. But then if that could lead into restricted eating and problems around that again, I, I don't even touch that, that aspect of it. I lean on my dietitian for that and have her give me guidance because when you go to a doctor, for instance, if you go to a GI doctor, they're going to tell you to go on the FODMAP diet or to like go on this elimination diet. But what if you have disordered eating? What if you have an eating disorder? They don't, they don't go through that criteria with you. My, when I, uh, I think three years ago, um, I went to a GI doctor before I was diagnosed with IBD and he wanted to put me on the FODMAP diet, but I called my dietitian and she sent in a letter and said, no, he like, she is not going on this. I like, we need to work together in order to create a plan. Yeah. I, I also think that stress can impact your, um, your digestive system so much. And doctors don't like consider that. Like I thought I had IBS before I left New York during the pandemic. And I like was curled around my toilet every night and just like such excruciating stomach pain. And I went on the low FODMAP diet and it didn't do anything for my particular circumstance. And then I left New York and was in nature and it completely went away. And then I like ate pizza and was felt completely fine. And it's, I do mm -hmm. think that working with somebody who can have not only a holistic view of your situation, but a holistic view of you as a person 
is critical for them to be able to see if that might be the case for you or if something else is the case for you. I wholeheartedly agree with that. Do you get, I mean, I know I sort of asked this earlier, but like you just like listed all of these things that make your life harder on a day-to-day basis than many people's lives are. And I'm just like, do you get pissed off? Like, are you just like, this is unfair. Why do I have to deal with this? Or how do you, or if you have friends who are just kind of like living their lives and not thinking about all the things that you need to think about to feel good every day, doesn't that make you angry? Or how do you deal with that? Yeah, it makes me really pissed off. I'm like, why me? Why? I've been, I, when you go through figuring out what autoimmune, autoimmune diseases you have, you go through, you know, even your youngest hospital visits. And I've been dealing with these symptoms since I was like a baby. I would be hospitalized for weeks just by having a common cold or uh, having a, a simple cut on my hand. I would get a staph infection, a really bad staph infection. So my immune system has been down my entire life. And it sucks. I have the only way that has alleviated that feeling of, you know, hopelessness is finding uh, ways to manage my stress and manage my life in a way that I know won't cause me to put myself in a position to get sick. Um, But yeah, it freaking sucks. And it's, it is so difficult. It's just so difficult. Are you prone to comparison or jealousy as a person, like both with health stuff, but also like, do you look at people in the same field as you and go like, oh, that's annoying or people with more money or people with a relationship you want? Like, do you fall into that comparison trap? Or are you able to avoid that? I think it's very human to be, to be that way. Um, when I was younger, I used to get so angry when somebody had something that I didn't and I have learned to practice gratitude. Um, I live a very, very, very privileged life, no matter what I've been through. Um, And I think it's been scientifically proven through studies that if you practice gratitude, your life, like you start to, to not realize the bad things. Um, correct me if I'm wrong, but that it really has helped me. No, it literally rewires your brain. Specifically, I think if you if you are as specific as possible and nuanced, so you're not just like, you don't wake up every day. You're not just like, I'm grateful for my dog, but you're like, I'm grateful for this walk I took with my dog today. It literally, like science shows that it rewires your brain, which is crazy. So crazy. It's amazing. Okay, I have a few reader questions for you. Um, I got a lot, but I narrowed them down to four. So let's do it. What is your favorite thing about yourself? My determination. Ooh, I love that. That's beautiful. What? How would you say that you're determined or how does that manifest in your life? Um, I always, I'm always determined to find the good in somebody or something to a fault. And I could say it's a fault, but I see it as my biggest strength. Um, I 
am so determined to to help people and to to help myself that um, you know I can only think that has led me to leave my abusive relationship that has led me to leave um, you know eating disorders and and pretty traumatic past so um, I it's my biggest strength but it's also like you know it's kryptonite as well. I think that's true of almost everything, though. Like, I was just writing a piece for um, something I'm working on, and it was about how my anxiety has been this, you know, linchpin around my neck or the beast of burden. But it's also given me all of these incredible things, my sense of empathy, my sense of storytelling. And I do think a lot of times the things that are our best things also are kryptonite. You know, I think that those Mm -hmm. go hand in hand. And realizing that can be really, really beautiful because then you don't want to get rid of the bad things because they come with the best things. Mm-hmm. Exactly. What's the best advice to stop feeling like you need to be in a small body to be considered worthy? Unfollow everybody on social media that makes you feel like you are a lesser version of yourself um, and that make you feel like crap. Mute your friends that do that. Uh, you don't have to completely unfriend them. And also, you know, Focus on on you, create boundaries in real life. You're allowed to unfollow people in real life as well. And start following people that are in um, marginalized communities and people that look like you. And, and you'll start to realize just how much social media can really... It's like with the, the gratitude thing. Like everything that you focus yourself into kind of determines your decisions and how you live your life and your thoughts. Yeah, absolutely. I love the idea of unfollowing people in real life as well. Like I think sometimes we focus too much in our feed and we don't realize that like this friendship is no longer serving us anymore or something like that. Mm -hmm. Did your experience with Bell's palsy change your view of beauty in any way? Oh my, Lanta, I forgot about that. Oh, um, That was one of the most terrifying things I had ever been through because I thought my body was literally shutting down. I did not know what was happening. Yeah. Can you like walk us through what happened for people who aren't familiar with Bell's palsy and just to hear what your experience was? Yeah. So what I didn't know at the time was I had COVID. Um, This was in January. I was so sick out of my mind. I had been traveling from, I traveled to New York three times uh, and Colorado. And then I was, I was in Disney world and so all of the most populated areas and in the most, you know, people moving in and out. And um, I, at the end of my Disney world trip, I, I woke up and I, my smile on my left side was smiling and I could not move the right side of my face. And it was so terrifying. I also had shingles at the time. I mean, my body was just going through it. And it was, I chose not to go to, um, you know, the parks that day in hindsight, good decision. I didn't know COVID was a thing then. But it, it really like, I 
felt like I wasn't myself. I think that was the scariest thing. Like I didn't know what was happening. And, and yeah, when I smiled, like I would like turn, I would tilt my head. So it, <laughs> it would like somehow, or like in my head, I would think that I, I looked like I was smiling on the right side of my face. And, and so, yeah, it like, it really, it hit me in a weird way. It was weird. <laughs> Wait, so then what did you do? Did you like go to the doctor were you like like I I, my brain would be like I'm gonna be paralyzed forever I had a stroke what's going on you know yeah so I flew I flew home from Florida that night I was in a panic I didn't know what was happening so I flew home and I went to go see a doctor right away because I was on um like bronchitis meds and they thought I had um pneumonia and then you know, my shingles and I was something's just really wrong with my body. Um, and I started to notice about two weeks into it that my smile started to become stronger. But there was a point where I thought that my face was going to be like that for the rest of my life. And that was really scary. And it put things into perspective. Yeah. yeah. I mean, <laughs> that how, how did you make peace with that? I um, I don't know if I made peace with it. I allowed myself to recognize how, even though my body is shutting down, how how amazing my body is, that it tells me in such major ways when something is off instead of, you know, in in a way where, like, I can't recognize it. Uh, so it it allowed me to listen to my body more. And and then later you were diagnosed with COVID? Yeah. So I had, I had COVID before I went to Disney World in Florida. Yeah. Back when like nobody knew. I mean, it was, it, yeah. we were yep. blissfully ignorant at that point. Yeah. That's why none of the meds were working. That's why they thought I had pneumonia. And then, <laughs> so I'm, I'm going to laugh so hard telling this. So the reason why I found out that I had, I had COVID later on was because I was watching the news and <laughs> I was watching the news and I saw something about COVID toes. I don't know if anybody else has read this before, but they showed pictures of COVID toes and I looked down at my toes and I had COVID toes. And this, like this symptom tends to last like even afterwards. Um, I don't have COVID toes anymore, but I was like, hold up. I got tested right away. I tested negative, but then I went into the doctor. This is like months after, mind you. And they were like, yeah, like uh, with your symptoms and how medication wasn't working for you. I mean, you, you had it. And so I got tested for antibodies and I had both of the antibodies. Wow. That's crazy what what are COVID toes is it just like swollen or a color like, or um I my toes were freezing and they were purple and blue and it was almost like a, it was in a pattern of like a web and it sounds really gross <laughs> no it's interesting has has knowing that you like had COVID helped you get through this weird time of COVID? Like, has it lessened the fear around COVID in any way? No, um, not at all. Because knowing me, my body will somehow find a way to get it again. Um, and I was, I was 
I was so sick. I thought I was going to be hospitalized for like a month. I didn't know what to do. So um, my anxiety and my like, it just everything with COVID is, is still very, very present. <laughs> yeah, I, I read or heard you say somewhere that isolation has triggered a lot of negative emotions and and memories for you. I'm curious, like, I'm so curious about people's COVID experiences in general, both like the silver linings and the things people realize, because I do think this is just something we're all going to look back on in 30 years and be like, oh, remember when we went through this as a world together? Oh, um, gosh. It's, it's just crazy. It's a crazy thing that we're living through. So has it been all negative? And what are the negative parts? And um, have you had any silver linings? Um, the silver line. So the negative, um, there seems to be like a lot of negatives happening. And I feel like everybody is hitting a burnout point where they're just tired of I'm tired of it. I'm just like, can this be over already? Um, I'm tired of being scared to go grocery shopping or go like right now I don't have a functioning washer and dryer. Um, and I'm, I'm scared to go to the laundromat and even though it'll be fixed in a couple of days, like I'm, I'm, I hate that the, that there are hoops to go through. And the silver lining is I'm able, when you're isolated or when I'm isolated, a lot of the issues that I have mentally, um, become more present. And so I'm having a lot more things to talk about in therapy. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, is that, could that be like a, a silver lining that you're, yeah, yes, yeah. Yeah. You're like um, trolling through those past issues a little bit more. Yeah. Because I like without, we have everyday distractions and those distractions, um, you know, lead us to not think about our just mental state, you know? Yeah. Yeah. It has been, it's been interesting to, to be so free of those daily distractions and also to have a whole new barrage of other daily distractions, you know, to, to deal with, mm -hmm. like being like going to the grocery store, being like a thing now that you have to psych yourself yep. up for and be like, Oh, I'm going to the grocery store. Yes. The last reader question is, what do you think is the worst thing that you see people do when they're trying to grow their social media? And what was the most helpful thing that you did when trying to grow your social media? The worst thing I see people do is wanting to be an influencer. The best thing that I've seen people do is share their story and passion and, and talk about what matters to them because when you do that it's it's like a magnetic um attraction for others who care about the same thing and so when you say wanting to be or trying to be an influencer you mean just sort of like posting for the, the sake of posting exactly exactly and what about super pragmatically because i love to get just like very nitty-gritty on this podcast do you think like posting more than once a day is important or are there any sort of hyper specific practical tips you could give people? I don't. And the reason why I don't is because I get mad when I, there's like formulas involved. I get angry and that might be my pride again, but like 
I feel like if I'm on social media, it should be a joyful place because I'm creating relationships. And I do think like, obviously checking if, if you have a business account, um, get one if you are, if you have business um, and check what hours your audience is is more active and posting around that time, but only do so if your mind is in it. Because if your mind isn't in it, people are gonna know um, whether you like it or not. People are gonna know. Yeah, I've I've found that for sure true in my own social media career. Okay, and then we've talked about I have questions that I'm gonna ask you that I like to ask everybody. But the last thing I want to talk to you about is you've talked about therapy a lot, and. I'd love to know what other tools are in your toolbox for your mental health, because I'm always trying to augment my own toolbox. Yeah, um, I step outside and breathe the fresh air, take off my shoes, ground myself, because typically when I am, you know, in between four walls, a ceiling and a floor, uh, my thoughts don't really have any space at all. So when I take a breath outside, even if it's just for a second, or when I ground myself for five minutes or more, I find myself being able to move through thoughts and feelings, no matter what the weather is outside, because weather is kind of like emotions. Um, You can run from it, or you can, or you can experience them. And so I do it in the rain. I do it in the snow. I do it when it's nice out. I do it when it's gray out because I feel like it helps me go through difficult emotions. You know, there's a study that says um, if you can see expansively, it actually triggers more creative thoughts because essentially if you can see far, your brain can almost think expansively. And I feel like that's... I didn't know that. Yeah. It's similar to what you're what you're saying. I do think that sometimes we can feel confined mentally because we're confined physically without even realizing that, especially during, you know, this time where so many of us are spending so much time in the same four walls. Yeah. I had no idea about that. I'll have to look into it. That's interesting. Yeah. It's really interesting. And then I know you journal as well, right? Mm-hmm. Has that, can you persuade me to start journaling or has that, has that been helpful to you? Yeah. I, so I've written in journals since I can remember. Um, I used to write inspirational speeches even when I was younger and I shouldn't be doing that. Like I'm (laughs) 10 years old. Why am I trying to like write these inspirational speeches? But, you know, so I have this like love hate relationship because anytime I outdo something, I, I run away from it because I hate it. And I think that's okay because I've then have been able to find out ways to love journaling again. So if I don't feel like writing for an hour, I mean, an hour is a lot to anybody. I just love writing. But if I don't want to do that, I just jot down three things that I'm feeling mad, at, mad, sad, angry, and then I'm done. Um, mm. Finding a way that, that journaling fits into your life because when you are, when you allow yourself to get your thoughts out into the world, things become easier in your head. Mm. And do you meditate or do anything else in that, you know, mental health toolkit category? Meditating to me is 
um, cleaning and doing like full body things that I can really cleaning. Yeah, I know it's weird. I've even growing up, I I was a messy person, and I'm a type B person. I I'm on the far type B side of things, but my ADHD genuinely loves like full body things where I don't need to think about anything else, so that my mind doesn't race, like polishing my rocks or um, you know, uh, walking blue, um, my dog or th- full body things that I cannot physically think about anything else. Mm, I love that actually that like if you can't sit and meditate, find another way to be mindful in a way that works for your brain and your body kind of. Mm -hmm. My husband would be so happy if my meditation was gleaning. I think we would have a a different (laughs) relationship um, completely. (laughs) Um, Okay. So here's some quick fire questions. What is the best way to spend 20 minutes every single day in the name of living a healthier, happier life? Um, sitting down and eating and enjoying your food. Do you do anything else while you eat or are you able, or do you, one of the people who kind of like sits there and mindfully eats? Um, it depends. I would say half and half. Um, I watch like vampire diaries while I'm eating. Um, but I, if I'm feeling like really off and I just need some silence and I sit in complete silence and I allow my, um, myself to think about like, what textures am I eating? What, like, what do I taste? Um, what flavors are happening and it grounds me. What's your favorite thing to eat? Um, pasta. Oh yeah. What, what kind of pasta? So I love, um, oh my gosh, why can't I remember the name? It's chickpea pasta. Um, the Banza stuff. Um, yes. Banza pasta. Yeah. Bonza. Uh, mm-hmm. I have, I literally have packages in my cupboard because I eat it all the time. It's great. And do you do like carbonara or Alfredo or just like a red sauce? I really love pasta. So I could talk about pasta yeah. for a very so, long time. Um, uh, red sauce or um, pesto, basil pesto is really good. I love pesto. Um, I don't. I like- had a TikTok that like went viral a while ago that was basically making the argument that pesto is like the best way to eat salad because you shove all of these greens in it and then you blitz it up and you eat it on pasta and it's like way more fun than eating salad Mm -hmm. Agree, but it's so good for you you're eating like so many if you look at the stuff that goes into a pesto you're eating like a pile of greens and a bunch of raw Mm -hmm. garlic and so good for you okay have you ever been somewhere in the world and been like the people here really got it right in terms of living a healthier or happier life? And if so, where was it? India. When I lived in India, um, they, I would say in the, so I hiked the Himalayan mountains for six months and lived within the villages. Oh so the people, yeah, the people that lived in the villages really changed my life because they appreciated just being able to have land. And it, it was just amazing. They were so happy with very little. Did you do that by yourself or with other people? Um, I went there by myself and I uh, then had a few people that I met there that I didn't know and we just hiked together. So it was really awesome. It was an amazing experience. So cool. So cool. Um, What's something that you've bought recently that's made your life healthier or happier? Um, Food? (laughs) I'm not... I'm not really a, a person that 
like I like you know shopping and whatnot but I wouldn't say it like makes my life easier and happier um food works food works yeah yeah food um do you feel successful and why or why not yes because every single day I log on to work and I see so many women's lives being transformed and also outside of work my relationship with my family has bloomed and I'm very very grateful for that and same with my friendships does money factor into stuff at all like I know you just bought a house how much does do fight does the financial element motivate you I am very financially motivated um my mom is the working human in the household and that's what I grew up with and um I watched her do that and um I've always had that like go against the norm kind of thing so uh having a stay at home dad and having a working mom it was a really cool dynamic to be a part of and I love being financially successful I think it is very very empowering because I didn't need a major corporation to lead me to here. I didn't buy a house with a man, even though my whole entire life, I thought when you buy a house, you're married. Um, you know, I've, I love it. Yeah. That's, I mean, that's back to like the stories were told versus defining what a full and happy and beautiful life looks like to us. And it it's, mm-hmm. I think buying a house is one of those like ultimate, uh, symbols of that, which is super cool. All right. This is the last one. What is a big mistake that you've made? It could be one that you've learned from. It could be one that you could not find any lessons in, but a big mistake. And then after that, what's something that you really got right? Um, I'm inherently a horrible communicator. And that's one of, that's literally one of my biggest strengths now. Um, I was so bad at communicating my feelings and communicating just anything and people would be confused and I would then be confused and it just caused this big confusion of a mess. Um, and that led me to really work on things so that I could live a better life. And so now I, I still struggle with communicating, but I'm a thousand percent better. Yeah. I mean, we just did an entire podcast interview. So I'm like, oh, you're inherently bad at communicating. And I've had a really great conversation with you for the past hour and a half. Uh, Was there anything that helped you with that? Or was that just literally like a practice, practice, practice thing? Uh, Practice, practice, practice. And people getting mad at me when I didn't communicate. (laughs) (laughs) That's fair. That's fair. Um, And then what's something that you really, you really nailed in your life that you can really look back and be like, I got that right. I would say being vulnerable. Can you expand on what that means to you or how you got that right? Yeah. I mean, I was definitely forced into being vulnerable through recovery, but I learned, I live by this quote, um, one change happens one conversation at a time. And my mom said that to me. I will not take credit for that. My mom says that to me and she says that to her her workplace and it's changed my life because it does make change even just within yourself, but also through others too. It allows people to, to open up and be vulnerable in their own lives. 
So it's not just like, it doesn't just affect myself, but it affects everybody around me. And do you think vulnerability is also sort of a practice skill? Like when you're, you do it and it feels uncomfortable, that's how you're learning to do it again? Or what would you tell people who, you know, want to be vulnerable, but can't bring themselves to that place? It's practice. Even if it's just like whispering to yourself at first um, or putting it down in a journal and then telling a friend and then telling your parents or family. And then, you know, it it doesn't have to be big. Like it doesn't have to be like speaking in front of a stadium. It, it, It can be in, in tiny ways, but those tiny things can lead to big things and big change. I love that. Change happens one conversation at a time. I love it. Well, thank you so much for taking the time to chat with me today, Mick. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. I just love her. She makes me want to take care of myself and take care of other people and, I don't know, just live a life that really feels good. And she's overcome so much in her life. So if she can still work toward that every day, it really makes me feel like I can too. I hope you love this episode. If you did love it, definitely screenshot, tag me. I'm at Liz Moody on Instagram, tag Mick. She's at Mick Zazon. Let us know what you think. Let us know any thoughts, feelings, questions that come up. We would love to continue the conversation. Also, if you loved it, if you wanted to give it a quick rating or review on iTunes or wherever you are listening to your podcast, it's always so appreciated and it helps other people find the podcast. And speaking of that, if there's anybody you know in your life who you really feel like needs mixed words, needs mixed wisdom, please shoot them a link. I just, I don't know. She's so wise and kind and has so many important things to say. And so I want them to help as many people as possibly possible. All right. You are beautiful and I love you. And I hope you have a wonderful rest of your day. See you on the next episode of the Healthier Together podcast. It takes a lot for a health supplement company to wow me, but Symbiotica really breaks the mold. If you haven't discovered them yet, they make really different products than any other supplement company I've seen before. They have a lot, so I highly recommend that you check out their website and take their quiz to find out what's best for your specific goals. But I wanted to call out a few of my personal favorites. First of all, the topical magnesium. You all know I love magnesium, and I've always wanted a topical spray that wasn't sticky, that felt good and luxurious to use, and that actually let the magnesium absorb into my body, which requires DMSO as an ingredient, which I have actually never seen in any other product. If you have achy muscles or sore feet, this is literal heaven, and I also love it before bed to help with sleep. And then I have become increasingly interested in minerals. We talk a lot about vitamins, but adequate minerals are so key for energy. And unfortunately, it's become harder to get adequate minerals because our soil is so depleted of them. The Symbiotica Shilajit supplement is one of the best mineral supplements that I've found. And the research around Shilajit is profound. There's robust human and animal research that shows it acts on ATP in a way that significantly helps restore and create energy, which is one of the biggest things that I love it for as a low-caffeine consumer. There's also robust research around its anti-inflammatory properties, its brain-protective properties, and more. I think of it more as a whole food than a supplement. It's a naturally occurring resin, and I just mix a little bit of it into my afternoon tea or my decaf coffee drinks. 
And like all Symbiotica products, there are no additives, fillers, toxins, or artificial flavors. Of course, I have a special discount for you. You can use code LizMoody to get 15% off plus free shipping on subscription orders. Again, that's code LizMoody for 15% off on Symbiotica.com. 